So, I hope you are all doing well. I wish well for all you guys. Last week we were talking about generosity and gratitude. We'll do the other side of that coin tonight. We'll talk a little bit about things we need to pay attention to to have skillful gratitude and skillful generosity. Last week we talked a little bit about how generosity is seen throughout the Dharma. It's everywhere in the Dharma. Uh, Particularly noteworthy, though, is the fact that whenever the Buddha talks about the Dharma as a progressive path, like whenever he speaks about uh, steps on the path, like A, B, C, D, which is not too often, but whenever he does that, uh, generosity, generosity is always the foundation of those teachings. Generosity. And of course, it's not surprising. You know, I would say that most traditions religious and spiritual traditions in some form highlight generosity and things like gratitude as virtues. So it's not surprising, but generosity is all throughout the Dharma. We see it all throughout the Dharma. If you didn't catch last week's uh, Wednesday Wake Up, you can catch the podcast. It was a good introduction to how the Buddha talks about generosity. Uh, And another thing I talked about was the relationship between generosity and gratitude and how feeling appreciative feeling grateful is the seed or one of the seeds of generosity. And that to the degree that we can begin to feel appreciative and grateful for what is arising in the present moment, then what happens is over time that gratitude produces this desire to express our energy outward towards others. We begin to have this desire to give that which we're grateful for. So as we begin to appreciate things that are good in our lives and we feel that goodness, there becomes this outward drive, this trajectory where we begin to offer that goodness to others quite naturally, quite naturally. doesn't mean we don't have to practice it, but there's more of a natural tendency to open up our hearts and to direct our energies outward where normally we would direct them inward. Less self-centeredness and more other-focused And so there's this direct relationship between gratitude and generosity. And then the last thing I just wanted to remind us of from last week is just the the fact that the the highest gratitude in the sense or the foundation of, of gratitude in the Dharma is the gratitude for life itself, this precious human birth, this ability to remind ourselves that no matter what is going on, there is always some goodness available to us. There is always something that is going okay, something that can be appreciated and brought into contact with the heart and mind in a way that produces a sense of ease and well-being. And so we cultivate this ability so we can get in touch with this preciousness of life itself through our awareness. So generosity and gratitude, big, big words, so to speak, heavy words throughout the Dharma, throughout spiritual teachings. But today I wanted to flip the script And I wanted to talk a little bit about the shadow side and some of the stumbling blocks to effective gratitude practice and effective generosity even. Part of the reason I think it's important to talk about this is that in my experience as a teacher, uh, both as a teacher and as a Dharma teacher, because I've I've taught other things uh, in my life and in different careers, and I know it's really easy as a Dharma teacher to get so excited about the Dharma and to get in touch with all the goodness that I've gotten from the Dharma over the last 27 years or so. And 
and to be in the teacher role and to just celebrate that and just be this huge cheerleader for the love and compassion and all the goodness that the Dharma brings. And then sometimes in that enthusiasm and sometimes in that celebration, it's easy for me to forget that there's still challenges with Dharma practice, you know? And granted, the minute my butt hits the cushion, I'm reminded of the challenges. But in the moment of teaching, in the moment of teaching, it's easy to get caught up in the enthusiasm and the cheerleading around the Dharma and the celebration of what the Dharma is. And to forget sometimes that there is a shadow side even to the ideas of compassion and the ideas of generosity and gratitude. And so it's important that we touch down on them. We remind ourselves what we need to be aware of so that our gratitude and our generosity is skillful. Because there's very subtle ways that unskillful habits, unskillful emotions can creep in to these apparently benign practices. So I want to touch down on that uh, tonight a little bit because I think it's easy to overlook it. One thing that came to mind when I was thinking about gratitude, when I was thinking about gratitude, one of the things that always kind of strikes me is my own upbringing at home with my parents and where gratitude was kind of called out. And now, you know, so I'm an 80s boy, so I grew up in the 80s in my younger years, so I was 10 or so in the 80s. During that time, whenever I complained about something or was expressing some ingratitude, especially when you're at dinner, if like I, whatever, didn't eat my vegetables or complained about something, my parents would always say, you really need to be grateful for what you have. And they would always use this phrase, which was common in the 80s, I believe, which was, there's starving children in Africa and you should be really grateful that you have a roof over your head and that you have food on the table and you've got toys and a safe place to be. Now, just to give you some context, so this is not, this doesn't come off as trite. There were, in the 80s, in the early 80s, there was a huge famine in Ethiopia. And many of you may remember this, but so this is no joke. The, the famine that hit Ethiopia in the early 80s uh, to this day is one of the, the largest humanitarian crisis that, that happened in the 20th century. So millions, over a million people died. And these images of people starving were on the news and so on. So uh, not to downplay it, you know, it, as a kid, I didn't know what was really going on. But my parents would always, always say this. And so it, it was referring to something significant. Now, of course, in that moment when my parents were like, you know, stop complaining. You should be grateful, right? People have less than you. Of course, what did I know? But of course, my, my parents were trying to be good role models, right? They're trying to say, hey, you need to be grateful for what you have. So I give them props for that. Of course, they're doing their best. But the reason I remember this, the reason I remember those moments is because there's something implicit in the way that it was spoken that I think we need to be aware of because it exists in other other aspects of gratitude. And you'll, this will make sense in a minute. In those moments when I was being told to be grateful, there was an element of guilt and shame that was being invited into the room. It wasn't simply be grateful for what you have. It's you're not being grateful. You should feel guilty about that. And upon that guilt and shame, you should then build your gratitude. So there's this very subtle sort of splinter in the heart, right? The gratitude is great, but in that moment, I was being asked to build this gratitude on upon this shame and guilt that was also being encouraged at the same time. 
Another thing you can see in this uh, moment of my experience is that the gratitude is being juxtaposed to suffering. You should be grateful because you're not suffering. You should be grateful because other people are suffering more. So in this framework of gratitude, what's implied here is you should be grateful when there is no suffering, or you should be grateful because you are suffering less than other people. So again, gratitude is juxtaposed to kind of this guilty, shamey kind of thing, and it's contrasted towards suffering. It's directly connected to suffering. So we should be grateful when we're not suffering, and we should be grateful when our suffering is less than others. So there's a lot of comparisons going on in this framework of gratitude. Another thing that it highlights, and this is, uh, I think, even more common when we talk about gratitude, is the look on the bright side. Look on the bright side. So we have this idea of be grateful because you can always look on the bright side and find something good that's going on. Or be grateful because you can always find somebody who has less than you, right? So you've got this bright side and then, hey, it could be worse. And I know we've all had the experience of, um, I don't know, complaining to somebody or something goes wrong and we, we try and vent or, or get some empathy for, from somebody and their response is, well, you know, it could be worse right? You know, your car breaks down and it's, and it's like, well, you had a flat tire. Well, at least you weren't in an accident, you know, or you're uncomfortable because you're sick. Well, at least you don't have, you know, a worse disease or something. So in our culture, there are these frameworks that we have, these subtle frameworks in which gratitude is paired up with suffering and gratitude is paired up with this subtle guilt and shame. Like, you shouldn't be worrying about this stuff because there's this other suffering in the world. And the reason I bring this up, because this is very different than the gratitude that we're talking about in the Dharma. So in the Dharma, gratefulness, appreciativeness, first and foremost is for, for life itself, as I said earlier. Gratitude in the Dharma is the, the cultivation of an appreciation for the fact that goodness abounds even right alongside suffering, right? So in the Dharma, gratitude is a bowing to the goodness that's all around us in spite of the fact that yes, there's also suffering. And it's a slightly different orientation. It's a slightly different orientation. In the Dharma, we're being asked to cultivate gratitude whether we're suffering or not, or whether we're even aware of suffering or not, right? We're invited to cultivate an awareness of the goodness that exists in the world. We're asked to cultivate gratitude whether or not other people are suffering. It's not a contrast to other people. It is a inward journey cultivating an appreciation for whatever we can in the present moment. We're really cultivating a sense of appreciation for the innate goodness that can exist in the world, even next to, sitting right next door to suffering. And again, the reason I'm mentioning this is because intention is so important. If we cultivate gratitude out of guilt, out of shame, out of a sense of like, I really should be feeling grateful even though I don't, these kind of subtle self-deprecating 
attitudes are actually undermining gratitude at the end of the day. And I'll explain what the, what the research is around this in a second. But the main thing to know here is that we're cultivating gratitude in and of itself. We're cultivating gratitude because it's healthy, because it's good to appreciate. And it also, if you want to look at the science side, being grateful is good for the body. It's good for our emotional states. And they even are now doing studies that show those who are grateful tend to live longer. And that means being grateful no matter what else is going on in your life. Not just being grateful because you're not suffering or not just being grateful because someone is suffering more than you. It's just gratefulness, right? Just being grateful as its own quality of the heart and mind. Now, I'm not saying that it's not important to look at privilege, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we don't look at privilege and feel grateful for what we have and the acknowledgement that other people suffer. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we have to be careful of letting shame and guilt and other aversive seeds be planted in the foundation of our gratitude. And remember that gratitude is about a celebration of goodness no matter what else is going on. No matter what else is going on. They've done these crazy cool studies, these crazy cool studies uh, about gratitude. And this is one of the things they found that just kind of blew my mind. They found that when people gave to a cause, right, out of gratitude, when they gave to a cause out of gratitude versus giving to a cause when there's a sense of guilt, that the brain shows up differently on the scans. Giving to a cause out of a sense of feeling grateful for what you have and wanting to be generous versus giving to a cause out of guilt and shame, it's a completely different brain process. So that was the first thing I thought that was really interesting. They could actually see that guilt, when you put guilt into the mix, it changes what's happening in the heart and mind. The other thing that they showed was that when people gave just out of gratitude, without guilt being present, they tended to give more and they tended to give more frequently down the road. So what we're seeing here is that this, this guilt and shame, when we put these into the gratitude framework, we actually undermine the gratitude and the generosity at the back end or downwind from this. So I wanted to bring that into the space tonight because I know a lot of us come from family cultures and spiritual cultures and just subcultures in which we've experienced a lot of guilt and shame. We want to bring goodness into the world. We want to be good people. And oftentimes we try to cultivate love and compassion, loving kindness and generosity and gratitude, but we're building it on the backs of a lot of guilt and shame. So I wanted to really have us take note of the shadow side of this phenomenon so we can use mindfulness to really get in there and be in touch with our actual intentions. And I'll give a few more examples so you can see how this plays out in our hearts and minds as we grow in the Dharma. Think of it this way. I'm going to list a few uh, sort of aversive, not aversive, let's just say, let's say unskillful, less skillful motives for being generous so we can, we can uh, bring this into the space. So some of us have been in situations where we give out of fear of not being a good person, right? 
we may give to a cause or give to a person or be with somebody in a particular way, not because we're feeling particularly generous, but we're afraid of not being a good person. We think it's something we should do. Pretty common, right? Human beings do this. I've done it. We all do this kind of thing. Another aspect of this is we give because we're afraid of what people think of us. We want people to think we're a good person. <laughs> it doesn't mean we don't think we're a good people, right? But there's those moments where we're giving because we want people to see us as good in that moment. So it's not as much out of gratitude, but it's out of fear. Fear of how we see ourselves and how people see us. Totally common, totally normative for human beings to do this. But in the Dharma, we have an opportunity to bring mindfulness to this shadow side and to really get in there and see what's going on. Why am I so fearful of what other people think of me or how I'm supposed to be? And can I work on that through mindfulness to bring generosity to the forefront through a gratitude that doesn't have fear, guilt, and shame? And I am not saying that's that's easy. <laughs> Let me just say say this to be clear. I am not saying in any respect that that's an easy task. But it is the task in front of us. Another way that some of these unskillful actions or qualities seep into generosity and gratitude is that many of us will give to the point of harming ourselves. We'll overextend and we'll go out of our way to help others, even to the point of significant emotional or physical harm. And I'm going to talk more about that later. But for now, and I'm not saying that human beings shouldn't make sacrifices. I'm not saying that it's natural for us to go way above the call of duty for friends, for family, for stranger, for those who've been marginalized. I'm not saying that. I'm just reminding us that it is possible to go way above with our generosity and what we're calling compassion to the point where we start injuring ourselves and the system as a whole is now at a zero-sum game, right? We have now hurt ourselves. Our, we've squeezed every ounce of compassion out of our hearts and now we're tired and irritable <laughs> and we've lost the balance of our minds because we now have what's referred to as compassion stress or compassion fatigue. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So another aspect is that we can go beyond what we're capable of because we so badly want to be a good person. We want to do good for ourselves. We want to do good for others. And we can lose the balance of our mind. And our generosity and gratitude can be off balance, right? It can be unskillful. A couple other more subtle ones that I think we've all experienced before. Sometimes someone else or ourselves will give to another person to create indebtedness in the relationship, to create a sense of indebtedness in a relationship. Of course, the most common place that I see this, particularly as having a background in child and family therapy, is in family systems, right? Where someone in a family is giving to somebody else in the family, but with a sense that you owe me. It's, it's not really generosity, it is creating an indebted relationship. I will help you out here but there's this expectation down the road that I'm gonna get ABC in return. So sometimes what could be a perfectly heartfelt, compassion-centered relationship filled with a generous and gracious exchange 
turns into an indebted relationship that can then become exploitive or abusive. Again, we're talking about the shadow side of these kind of things. Two other ones that I think are very common that we have to be careful of. One is taking too much pride in giving, right? Too much pride in giving. It's subtle. We can all do it. In the Dharma, we want to use mindfulness to touch down on what is the emotion when you think about giving, when you're actually giving, and after the gift or the generosity has been, has been given. We want to keep mindfulness going through that whole process when you're thinking about giving to somebody in some way. Now, remember from last week, generosity, we're not talking about just material things. We're talking about generosity of spirit. We're talking about offering someone a patient ear or a compassionate heart, right? We're talking about helping someone who needs some solace or needs a friend. We're talking about all the ways that the human heart and mind can offer itself to another being. We're not just talking about you know, donating or going to a protest or taking a stand for something, which of course is all included. But remember that this is not necessarily material generosity that we're talking about. So two other uh, things we need to be aware of. Sometimes we give to cover up an emotion, right? We have this tool of generosity. And if we're feeling depressed or anxious, or we've got something that we really don't want to be present with, we might rely on generosity. In those cases, if we're not aware that that's happening, we can bury that emotion. And when we look at ourselves, we think, oh my gosh, look how giving I am. Like, well, look what a good person I am. I'm so excited about being generous. And what we don't realize is we've now paved over or repressed some other emotion, some other quality of the heart and mind that we're not really comfortable being present with. So in this case, generosity becomes an escape rather than a cultivating a gift of healing for ourselves and the other person in the relationship. Now, again, I just wanted to remind us, this is all normative human behavior. This is what human beings do, right? But knowing that that's what human beings do, we bring mindfulness to this process. We look for these shadow sides of compassion and generosity, and we look to see what's our true motive in this moment. Am I really giving with freedom of spirit and heart and openness of mind? Or is there something else? Is there some fear? Is there guilt? Is there shame? Is there anger? Who knows? It could be all kinds of stuff. We just want to encourage ourselves to use mindfulness to be in touch with the intention. It's not enough to be grateful and generous. We have to really look at the intention underneath. The Buddha talks about how all the goodness in the Dharma, all the good qualities, all the good heart-mind qualities of the path can be pathways to unskillful actions. So we really need to keep our mindfulness in check with these type of emotions. So that's the list. That's the list I came up with off the top of my head. Those are the primary ones that I know I've experienced. There's probably tons and tons more, but these are some of the things I would invite you to keep in your heart and mind when it comes to generosity and gratitude. Now, another thing I'd like to mention is this thing I said earlier, which is compassion fatigue. And this is a really important thing to keep in mind. This is a hugely important thing to keep in mind. It's really common in spiritual communities. When people come into spiritual communities, it is really, really common for people to 
spend time giving, volunteering, taking care of each other, which on the surface, yay for us, creates a strong sangha. It allows us to give and love and share and create deep spiritual friendships. That's the positive side. But then sometimes when we're not mindful enough of looking at the motives or the underlying beliefs that we have around giving and serving, we can completely wear ourselves out and do harm to ourselves and ultimately harm to others. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, oh, um, Charles Figley. Charles Figley was a researcher. I can't remember what kind of research he was doing. It's certainly psychological uh, or, or in social work, but he coined this phrase, there is a cost to caring. There is a cost to caring. And he was one of the first people to really look at what now is either called compassion fatigue or compassion stress. Now, what this was really commenting on was that when human beings care for other human beings who are in distress or just near other human beings who are in distress. So this goes for if you're caring for a family member, caring for a child, uh, caring for a sick parent. It could be caring for a pet. It could be just hearing the stories over and over again of somebody who's had a trauma or who is, in, is despondent or in despair. Contact with suffering is contagious. And when we care for others, there's a cost if we don't care for our heart when we're opening it up in that caring space of gratitude and generosity. And what happens is that the human mind will begin to take on the view of the person that we're caring for, so much so that we will experience vicarious suffering. We can experience stress, depression, anxiety. It's really common for people who care for others regularly to feel hyper discouraged, have um, experiences of hopelessness and despair, even if they're not the ones who are going through the experience. Activists get this quite a bit. If you're in an activist community and you're taking a stand for a cause and you spend a lot of time doing this without proper self-care, you can get very depressed, very despondent. And what can also happen is you can feel anxiety and restlessness and there can be a lot of irritability. So as a social worker and someone who's been in various activist communities for, for decades, I know from direct experience that I know quite a few activists who are working for causes, taking a stand for those who are marginalized, disenfranchised, and without proper self-care, that compassion turns in on itself and becomes compassion stress. And I know plenty of activists who are involved in either, uh, a main one that I see a lot is climate change. I see a lot of activists taking a stand to make changes around this impending climate catastrophe and they're having trouble sleeping, they're depressed, they're feeling hopeless. This is compassion fatigue. We start out perfectly good space of wanting to take a stand for something, to show up in the world as a being who encourages transformation towards goodness. But if we don't take care of ourselves, we can actually become very sick mentally, emotionally, physically. So there is a cost to caring. And this is rarely talked about I, in my experience, this is rarely talked about in the Dharma. 
We celebrate love. We celebrate loving kindness. I think it's really important that we remember the shadow side of this. We must use mindfulness when we're caring for others so we can keep our wits about us, right? So we can make sure our heart stays open, our mind stays alert and attentive to our inner thermometer, right? How am I doing? Am I exhausted, right? And again, I'm not saying we don't make sacrifices. I'm not saying that. But I'm sure what you can see here is we must remain attuned to the motive and the underlying thought, heart, mind patterns that are going on beneath our desire to be generous, to be grateful, and to serve others. If we don't, some of these things like guilt and shame and compassion stress can seep in. And then at that point, long term, we do ourselves a great deal of harm. I experienced this um, in one of my um, social work agencies that I worked at. And I had been told about compassion stress and I had been told about compassion fatigue. And I kept saying to myself, you know, whatever, that's not, it's not going to affect me. You know, I'm a meditator. I'm a Dharma teacher. It's like, I got this. Like I can work long hours caring for others. It's going to be fine. And oh my goodness. So um, I worked in, in all the years I've been doing social work, I've, for some reason, I don't know if this was totally conscious, but I've really worked in some very, um, intensive social work settings with folks who were really in high needs, lots of poverty and violence, people who've been exploited in a variety of different ways and injured. And I've, I've done community mental health in this way for a really long time. And um, on the one hand, I really enjoyed serving in that way. But I did this one stint that was like four years. And I did not realize that I was being impacted by the suffering all around me day to day. I didn't realize that I was hanging out with people who were so marginalized, exploited constantly, not being able to get basic needs met. And I didn't see that there was vicarious stress. I thought I was just being an open-hearted, compassionate individual. Until one day, I went to see a movie. And in the movie, there was a scene that was showing someone being traumatized in a particular way. And when I got out of the movie, I literally sat in my car and cried for like two hours. And I had no idea that I had built up all of this stress and trauma from having been serving others. I thought I was like this, you know, not a superhero, but I thought it's not affecting me. I can, I can do this. And I really did think because I was a meditator, that I could just keep going without refueling and I didn't have to care for my own heart. I could just care for others. And I felt guilty for cutting back hours. I tell, to, you know, felt guilty for not showing up all the time. And I always thought as long as my intention is to be a compassionate, loving person, love will take care of itself. In my experience, that was not the case. So I really want to invite you to consider if you're a person who's taking part in activism, if you're a person who's caring for a family member or a loved one, if you have a job or you just have a general aspiration towards loving kindness, just remember that caring does have a cost. You have to refuel, you have to reboot, and you have to have self-care. If we don't care for ourselves, it's very difficult to step into the world as a kind, loving, and caring human being. And oftentimes in the Dharma, we overlook this really important part of loving kindness, which is you got to care for yourself as well. You got to care for yourself as well. Hugely important. Hugely important.
I would like to do a little reflection at this point um, to bring this home. Let's do this. Take a minute or two. You can do this as a meditation or you can do it as writing. So let's take two minutes for those who would like to write answers to this que these questions down. Grab a piece of paper and a pen, journal, napkin, something, tablecloth. Uh, grab something. We'll take two minutes and then I want to do a couple reflection questions to bring this all home for us. You can do it as a meditation as well, but I find sometimes actually writing it out is helpful. So what I would invite us to do, invite us to do, whenever we do reflections, keep in mind mindfulness. Surprise, surprise. Keep in mind mindfulness. Make sure, or at least make the effort, to bring awareness to the body as you're answering the question so you can notice your change in mood. When I ask the question, notice immediately where your heart and mind goes. Where your heart and mind goes. And in a reflection exercise like this, as I've talked about before, first answer, best answer, right? And you can just write down a word or an image or a thought. It doesn't have to be a full answer, but don't overthink it. Let the intuition flow for this kind of thing. I always find that it works better that way. But there's no right way to do it, so whatever's comfortable. But definitely be mindful of mood and emotion and the body as I ask the question. Okay, there's just a couple questions here. Okay, the first question is, where in your life are you most generous? Where in your life do you find yourself most generous from your perspective? Where in your life do you find yourself most generous? Most giving, you might say. There might be a lot of domains. It could be family, friends, kids, work different places that you find yourself. Maybe it's a particular person. Now the tangent question to this is, where is it easiest to be generous in your life? Where is it easiest? And I'm gonna clarify this. You might ask yourself, with whom in my life? With what person or what circumstance do I find it easiest to be generous and giving and outwardly directed. Where in my life is it easiest to do that? And why? Why in that domain or with that person is it so easy to be generous? Where is it easiest and why? Why is it so easy in that particular relationship or circumstance to be generous? Now, of course, the counter question is, where do you find it most difficult in your life to be generous? Or with whom do you find it most difficult to be generous? And why do you think that is? What is the stumbling block to generosity with that person or that circumstance? So where is it easiest? Where is it most difficult? And why do you think that is? And the last question, in general, for you in your life, 
What is the greatest stumbling block to generosity? What are you most likely to trip over or get stuck on with gratitude, with generosity? What is the biggest stumbling block that you're aware of? Nothing, sometimes nothing comes to mind, but if something pops in, write it down. Something to reflect on. What is the biggest stumbling block to being generous? The reason I ask these questions is to stimulate the mind towards reflection on the nature of generosity as you experience it. You know, I'm a big fan of customizing practice. I always talk about this in the Dharma. It's important to own the practice, to make it yours. And so it's easy for a teacher to get up and talk about loving kindness and generosity and gratitude. But really, at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, what does this mean for me to be generous? Why is it in some parts of my life it seems to flow and everything is easy with a person or a place or a circumstance, and at other times my heart feels so contracted, right? Why is it with some people it's just so challenging? Or why is it that I really, really want to be generous with a particular person or circumstance and God knows I won't be able to do it and I know I'm not going to be able to do it. It's just going to be a contracted heart, right, when I'm with this person or with this situation. And this is helpful. It's, it's helpful to know that generosity is not easy. It wouldn't be a practice in the Dharma if it just all of a sudden we just had to say, oh, I'm going to be loving and caring and generous to all beings. We're constantly reminding ourselves to do this because it takes practice to cultivate these heart-mind qualities. They're considered spiritual because we have the innate potential, but also because we have to develop them, right? There's just some days where we just don't really feeling, we don't really want to feel, we don't want to do generosity, right? It just doesn't feel right. And so we use mindfulness to ask ourselves, why is that? What's getting in the way? And what can I use in the tools of the Dharma to unclog that highway, right? What can I do to remove the stumbling block from the road? How do I uncontract the heart? And we have to do that by first just reflecting, Bringing into awareness, what does it feel like to be generous? And what does it feel like to not be generous? And to compare those two and really look at the circumstances in our lives surrounding those kind of things. So the two take-homes tonight around this. One, this is a journey, right? It's a journey of self-exploration and exploration of how we relate to others. And even though it's our highest aspiration to free ourselves from suffering, and to have all beings be free. It's a practice, right? And there is a shadow side that creeps in to even the coolest parts of the Dharma path, right? The love, the generosity, the gratitude. And it's really easy to cheerlead for those qualities and forget how hard they are to really live, right? It's really hard to live them. And to forget that if we don't use mindfulness, in conjunction with these practices, if we're not really attuned to what's going on in the heart and mind, even when we intend to do good, we can have some unskillful motivations and unskillful heart-mind qualities that can seep into the mix. And we use skillful effort. We don't get down on ourselves when we discover it. We just say, oh, look, I'm doing this thing. Human again, right? As Robert Beattie would say, human again. Oh, look, I thought I was being generous, 
but I was really giving out of fear. <laughs> That's what the heart and mind do. Totally normal human experience. But then when we notice that, we bring that into awareness and then we decide, okay, what's skillful here? What can I do to unpack this? So next time maybe I show up with a truer intention. Totally reasonable practice to be awake and aware to these natural shortcomings, right? We don't want to get down on ourselves for this. We want to use it as an adventure of self-discovery and self-creation. So that's my hope for us all, that we can really be awake and aware to the lovely side of all these practices and bring mindfulness to the subtle ways that we can get sidetracked or derailed because goodness has, has a shadow. So that is my wish for us, that we can enjoy and take part in that uh, exploration. Let us end our last Wednesday wake up of 2020 with some loving kindness, reminding ourselves of our highest aspiration. Let's get settled for two minutes or so. Take a long, slow, deep breath in. Returning to presence of body. Let's remind ourselves that we come together in practice to support each other, care for each other, learn from each other. And that we have this lovely aspiration to give of ourselves in such a way that we show up in the world as kind, generous, loving and wise human beings. And that we bring this wakefulness into every moment so that everyone that crosses our path, everyone we touch in our life, can share in the merits of this practice. Let us give one last wish for all beings to be happy, for all beings to feel held in love, in compassion, in joy, in kindness. May all beings be free from suffering, free from danger, worry, and concern. May all beings know true love, true compassion, true freedom in this lifetime. May all beings know true love, true compassion, and true freedom in this lifetime. May all beings be free. May all beings be free. May all beings be free. Be safe and well, my friends. We will not meet next week, but we will meet in 2021. Right here.
<laughs> in this digital Dharma hall. Thank you all. Thanks so much for a great year in the Dharma. Appreciate you. Have a good holiday. Be well. Be safe. Thanks so much, folks.